You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 238. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, This episode, we have Aaron here. Aaron, today's episode is going to be a piece of cake, right? Uh, Sounds good to me. (laughs) How many miles did we just bike um, I, I think it was a shade under 17. 17 miles. I don't think I've ever biked that much in my life. So I am, I, you, you tend to be more put together than I am. So you've got, you know, it, you've got a constitution to get the rest through the rest of your day. Me, I'm like wiped out. It's, it's been a while since I've done anything like that myself. So. All right. All right. Well, uh, but, but in a break from, uh, from tradition, uh, we are a little more casual in the local Maxim studios today and it's daylight <laughs> outside instead yes. of the middle of the night. That is true. That is true. That's what you get with the day off. Um, and we're pretty much going to be putting this out today. So this is going to be quick turnaround. Uh, right, right. The video usually takes a little longer, but, uh, but the audio the audio very soon. Okay, so we have one kind of not fun story, but a little bit less tech- technical story, more of a media story about uh, that that movie Batgirl. Um, and then the New York Times on internet censorship. Uh, guess what? They're against it. Just not when it's just not just just. There's one country where they, they they're not against it, and that happens to be ours. But they're they're against it in other countries. Uh, and then we get into probability distribution over the week of the week. All right, so let's go. Now, I I wanted to, I just found this mo- this uh, story fun. A because during my uh, my surgery recovery, I was watching a lot of Batman, and I watched the Batman movie that came out uh, more recently. What what is that called? Like the Batman? I, I, think, I think so. Yeah, it's just just the Batman. They they're having a hard time. They're like, well, you know, but I think there was I think the 1989 movie was just named Batman. And then the next one was Batman Returns. Uh, all of the Nolan movies had some kind of a like, it, Dark Knight. Whatever. But the, so, so they're like, well, we have to have a unique name, so we'll just add a the in front of it, and, and that does it. Hollywood um, naming conventions are, are not always the most intuitive. Uh, it, it took me a long time to realize that Suicide Squad and The Suicide Squad were two totally different movies. Yeah. I mean, well, similar, similar uh, cast, but... but actual distinct movies made in different years. Yeah. Well, what about Fast and Furious? Like, their naming scheme is all over the place. Well, at least they have numbers in them, mostly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, okay, so, no, it's it's kind of sad when this happens when, you know, okay, a lot of movies get shelled and shelved in, in Hollywood. That's that's not um, that's not uncommon. What's, what's a little bit uncommon here is that they already made the movie. They spent about $90 million on it. And so I just think that's interesting um, <laughs> that makes it a more interesting story and, and kind of a, a sort of a uh, big disappointment for the people who acted in it, for the people who are going to star in it, uh, and uh, for, for the people making it. Yeah, that's, um, that's got to be frustrating if you've put you know, a, a significant period of time into, into that effort and it doesn't come through. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, well, at least they got paid, although Sounds like um, some I, of the tech, I yeah. wonder how many of the, uh, the folks Projects. who, you know, Big, big headliner stars had opted to take rather than a uh, uh, you know cash payment. Well, I, I want uh, you know a percentage of the yeah. of the uh, of the box office, and well now now they're going to regret that. Yeah, sounds like a uh, sounds like a good idea at the time. Sometimes that pays off big. Um, so yeah, Batgirl. If I remember the past previous Batman movies, I don't know how I became an expert on the Batman movies. I guess I've seen most of them now, um, but but of course I don't know. 
the comic books. I don't know the um, I, I don't know the TV series from the '60s, so I'm I'm not really a Batman um, canon. It's it's, it's definitely not nerd. an area of my expertise. Yeah. Although I did have uh, an issue of Batmensch growing up. What? what oh, interesting. Okay. It, it, it was it was a, a a Jewish knockoff. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I I'll look that up. Uh, so, uh, the the only other time so Batgirl's been in in the, um, in the comic books a long time. The only other time uh, you had Batgirl on the uh, in the movies was that horrible movie Batman and Robin, back in '98 with um, uh, George Clooney and Alicia Silverstone playing uh, Batman. Um, I think the problem with that movie is I, I saw it that that I saw it recently. Um, for the first time, just to like complete my collection of, of having watched all the Batmans. Um, it was bad. It wasn't necessarily, there were some like so, so bad it's good moments. It was just, it's too campy. Hmm. I think what, what happened at the time. Um, so anyway, this Batgirl. Well, and start- it's, it's easy to forget that we're, we're kind of in a golden age of superhero movies. Maybe, right. maybe more, more Marvel, well, less, less 20- DC. Right. But, but you know, a, a couple decades ago, that was definitely not the case. And, and these, uh, they they kind of firmly were B movies. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess so. And they were there to like sell um, sell merch to the kids. And you know, the kids weren't really watching these movies very closely for the plot. Like they weren't. You know, the movies in the '90s were. Um, uh, you know, uh, they were geared toward the kids, whereas they they must have kept the same age going forward because then the ones in the 2000s were geared towards more adults. And then the movie that came out recently was so dark. It was like geared towards, I, I think at some point they're going to take these movies so far, you're going to have an opposite Batman and Robin where it's like, okay, this is way too far in the dark uh, side. And uh, like, like in terms of, um, in terms of just a, a, a very dark, very kind of depressing depiction of what's going on that we've got to kind of go back a little bit. Well, I don't and- know. Very much in in keeping with the uh, the source material with you know with comics that there it does seem like every few years they're they're rebooting the franchise in one way or another right that that you can only tell well actually quite the opposite you apparently you can tell the origin story many many times and people will keep coming back for it you just got to put yeah. a slightly different twist on it well every ten years you know you have a whole new set of people seeing it I mean some of us come back every ten years but yeah. you know, well and I that's that's part of why I think maybe they went with you know, the Batman rather than like Batman 12, right. because they, they want to make sure you don't think you need to go watch all 11 preceding Batmans to, uh, no, to, to be able to jump in. It's a reboot. It's a reboot. And it's not for kids at all. Hmm. Like you, you know, some of the older ones you would take kids to see their family movies. This is, it's no longer. Um, so it's, it's, it reminds me of some of that fourth turning stuff, how like, uh, you know, society goes from being geared toward kids to not be geared toward kids. You could probably tell that story through the lens of the Batman franchise. So, so when are we going to see the dark, gritty Teletubbies reboot? <laughs> you know, uh, it's, uh, it's been what? It's been 20 years since that came it's, out. It's I'm due. Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm prepared for that. I, no, neither am I. I could imagine that being even darker than uh, a Batman uh, reboot. Uh, I, I could imagine some horrifying things you could do with the Teletubbies. And uh, I probably would okay, not let's, go see let's, that. Let's stop there. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, the, the, <laughs> there, there, there are a couple of thoughts that this brings to mind. First is, you know, 
how, what, what could have possibly been so bad about it that, that they didn't think they could, you know, either fix it in post or refilm some scenes and that it's worth taking a $90 million bath. Right. Um, either in terms of, of like, technically it just was garbage or, or was there something in there that was like, if, if we air this, we're going to get canceled. I I doubt it's that it's, it sounds much more likely that it was a case of, uh, it is going to be advantageous to us, uh, fiscally from a, you know, tax perspective or whatever to, to have this significant loss. And, and this is a big movie that, that even though the, you know, the Batman franchise has, has a lot of legs, it, it's, it's not going to hurt us that much to, uh, to, to take our loss yeah. here. Like, why not put it on online, put it on Amazon, have people stream it. Like, you know, you, you make a few bucks that way. I well, don't and it sounds it... like there was apparently a Scooby-Doo uh, movie, I think animated one that was supposed to be released this year and was pretty much all done. Uh, and, and they pulled it to the point where they're, they're not even going to release it, you know, on, mm. on HBO streaming or whatever. Is this something that happens frequently? Because I don't remember this, these stories, you know, obviously things, projects are shelves, but I don't remember. I, I feel like it's unusual for it to have such a, a significant price tag attached to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you'd think they'd be able to release something. And as I look at this, uh, you know, this headline, Batgirl stars Le- Leslie Grace in the title role alongside J.K. Simmons, Michael Keaton, and Brendan Fraser. So, I mean, a lot of those names are from the 90s. Michael Keaton was Batman. I don't know if he could play if he's an older Batman I, here, but I, 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 I would imagine I, that there's some sort of passing the torch. Maybe he was Alfred because, because mm. that, that would be kind of an, an, a, a nice nod. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I mean, they had a, an interesting cast and it's just like, what, you know, you're, you're right. I, I, not, 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 you're right. But, but I, I almost feel like there was, there is a um, crisis in storytelling right now uh, where maybe it's because superhero movies are so, um, are, you know, are so dispersed. Like they've made so many of them that all the good storytellers have been used up or have been used up in TV as, you know, or watching Better Call Saul, the Pen- penultimate episode tonight was extremely well written. But maybe it's just the, 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 the um, maybe, maybe we're, we're reaching the limit in terms of how many good storytellers there are versus how much dollars are going in to the, um, to the entertainment industry. Um, that's just one yeah. hypothesis that I have. Um, yeah, I mean, what, one, one other thing I'll throw out is that, that one other film that, that maybe it hasn't been shelved permanently, but I don't expect to see it anytime soon is uh, Rust, which was it, was it last year or was it earlier this year that uh, they had an uh, on, onset uh, accidental or, uh, or negligent yeah. homicide. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think the combination of, of that being kind of a pseudo indie production uh, and uh, that, that unfortunate incident means that that's probably going to get shelved and, and never see the light of day. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that, there's some, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's we, not as bad as someone, you know, dying on the set, which yeah. as far as I know, did not well, happen. So, so, so there was, um, and I'm blanking on the name of, of, of the film, but there was a, a, a movie that came out a number of years ago, uh, about, uh, Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla and, and their competition. Yeah. I didn't um, see it. And, and well, it was supposed to come out. And then it got delayed for like three years, and and the reason was because it was a Weinstein product, you know, Weinstein Brothers production. Oh, okay. Uh, and it 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 was you know slated to to hit theaters just about when uh, he he uh, had his Me Too run in. Right, right. And and so uh, it was it was you know put on the shelf for for a couple of years while they kind of shopped around a new way to distribute it and release it that that wasn't going to be so tainted. So gotcha. You, you see, yeah. you see that occasionally, but but in that case, it it did make it out eventually. You have a feeling some of these are going to leak at some point. Oh yeah, for sure. Be like a leaked Batgirl 
Yeah, I was uh, I was looking yeah. through the uh, the like IMDb list of of you know top top hundred movies that that have never been released, and uh, yeah, it makes you wonder. So if they've never been released, how do we how do we know so much about these? But yeah, yeah, I maybe, mean, maybe they're in, in private collections somewhere. Maybe they'll be put up on Odyssey or or something yeah. like that. Not not to be confused with uh, how I guess uh, it's something like and and, and I, I don't have the dates in front of me, but it was something like you know all. 50% of of the movies made before like 1935 uh they've lost the original uh film and and like yeah 75% of the stuff made before the 20s is is gone because uh the the medium they were stored on was somewhat volatile l- both literally and figuratively uh and yeah. and there there was not a uh, an archivist movement to preserve it it's crazy to think about i mean there there was a movie that came out like maybe 20 years ago called Hugo, which was about that. It was actually a children's movie that was about, um, or, or it covered the idea of restoring some of those old films. Based on uh, a book, so, I believe, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, excellent film. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, with that, let's see what the New York Times has to say on internet censorship because every once in a while, you get the New York Times writing an article that's about foreign countries. And when they talk about foreign countries, in my view, they don't have as much of an agenda, and they can complain about internet censorship and free speech all they like. And then when the same types of arguments are used to the United States, it's like, you know, um, oh my God, stop this extremism. Well, so so, so set the set the stage for this article, and yeah. and then I, I have some thoughts once we've we've kind of okay. laid the ground. It's interesting. Here. Nowhere in this article does it mention any issues in the USA, and I want to point out, like, this is not the first time the New York Times has done this. Last year. Um, in October, and particularly a link on the show notes page, they had a whole thing about how you know the internet is completely censored in Russia, and it's terrible what this country is doing, and it's political speech specifically. We're not talking about copyright. We're not talking about pornography. We're talking about specifically political speech. So, okay, uh, which is what you know the First Amendment should cover. Uh, yeah, and, uh, most. and how it ties into yeah. misinformation, disinformation, terrorism, right, right. etc. Yeah. Okay. So in. Uh, just to start out, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm going to read some of it. I have some of it is redacted because I love censoring. It just gave me the idea. No, no, no. So some of these articles are long, so I only uh, post, the, uh, I post the, uh, the paragraphs that I think are, are relevant. It starts out, in three of the four most populist countries in the world, governments have now given themselves the power to order that the Internet be wiped of citizens' posts that authorities don't like. Note, of course... The fourth country that doesn't do this apparently is the United States, um, which, you know, they're right that they don't have the power to simply order by law that the Internet be wiped of certain posts. But in the United States, we're still doing the thing where the government and the administration is just telling Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. Yeah, 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 take that down. And then they just listen. So, yes, maybe there's a legal difference. And yes, maybe there's a, a constitutional difference. But... It seems, it, it seems necessary to point out that there might not be too much of a functional difference there. Uh, and um, to ignore that seems, uh, um, you know, <laughs> seems a little uh, you know, biased from the New York Times. So anyway, they, they go on further down the article. Online censorship schemes and regulations are also increasingly the realm of democracies that want to use the law and the internet to shape citizens' be- discussions and beliefs versus, you know, um, autocracies, which, you know, have China, Russia, which have done this for a long time. Um, in free societies, there has long been a tug of war 
over free speech and its limits. But one of the enduring questions of the online era is what governments, digital companies, and citizens should do now that the internet and social media make it both easier for people to share their truth or their lies, be it as it may, with the world and more appealing for national leaders to shut it all down. What is happening in three of the world's four largest countries, China, India, and Indonesia, the US is the third largest, is simpler than that. It fits the classic definition of censorship. Governments are seeking to silence their external critics. Officials in Indonesia have said that their new regulations are needed to protect people's privacy, delete online material that promotes child sexual abuse or terrorism, and make the internet a welcoming space for all. But guess what? This uh, editorializing myself here, the, the, uh, the, the, the author here, and by the way, this is an author in the New York Times, you know, not every op-ed in the New York Times is, or, or contribution to the New York Times is going to be the same point of view, but they do have a very strong point of view of what they show. So essentially, if our government says this, like, oh, we're doing this to protect privacy or, or, or stop terrorism, I think that the, the New York Times would only post something that takes that at face value. Like, this is what the government's doing and this is the reason. But when it's a foreign government's you have an article here that's very skeptical. So going on, governments sometimes have legitimate reasons to shape what happens online, such as preventing the spread of dangerous misinformation. But, um, and this is a name that's going to be hard to pronounce, but uh, Devi Siva <laughs> Prakasam, Asia's Pacific Policy Council. Sorry about that, you guys, if you have that name. Asia Pacific Policy Council for the Global Digital Rights Group. Access Now says Indonesia's rule rules are a fig leaf used by the government to stifle journalism and citizen protests with few checks on that power. So before I get into the end here, yeah, you said you had some thoughts. Okay, yeah, so, so so a couple of things. Let's start with the, the fig leaf comment. Uh, the, the, there's two things to worry about here. There's the actual censorship when they, they literally come out and say, remove that information, you know, that particular poster information. Right. But there's also the chilling effect that the existence of these regulations has uh, on both private individuals and, and journalism. And, and if there's one thing that the New York Times cares about uh, passionately, it's freedom of the press. Now, I, I think it is... Overly reductive, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, that, that there's an element to this of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, that this this dangerous information they're talking about, uh, that that perspective, uh, you know, bias plays significantly into how you make that determination. And and there's nothing in in this op ed anywhere that that indicates kind of what the the nitty gritty details involved there are, and maybe the answer is because there aren't any, and and like they said, it's a fig leaf. It's it's a, a law that's written to be ambiguous enough to let them do whatever they want whenever they want, um, and that's a problem. But I, I think what what we run into uh, in in similar situations in the U.S. is is that there there is uh, a a inability to, and, and this is this is classically the problem we've had with a lot of the platforms as well. It's like, okay, tell us what the rules are so that we can follow the rules and then enforce those rules, you know, to the letter of the law. Uh, and, and that tends to not be what's happening. And, and that, that makes people uh, particularly upset. Um, yeah. and, and, and you, well, that's because it gives them the flexibility to be like, it, essentially, like, the, this is the language they use in the article. Stuff I don't like will be gone. Yeah. And I tell what I can tell 
that's the rule. You don't post something I don't like. Why don't I don't like? I'll know when I see it. I know I don't like that. And 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 this is probably not the first time I've I've mentioned this on the podcast. But you know, every every law, every policy should be written uh, with keeping in mind how would my worst enemy use this against me, uh, because eventually that will probably happen. Uh, just just because you trust the people who are in the position to make that determination that that have uh, you know leeway and flexibility uh, doesn't mean that you're you're always going to be fully aligned with those people and uh, you should be prepared for the worst possible outcomes from those and so either you need to uh, create a system that's that's fully open or if you're going to have restrictions on it you need to make those restrictions as clear uh, and and you know black and white as possible so that you don't end up getting uh, trampled under your own own policies yeah yeah so by the way I, I should point out the the author is uh, Shira Oved. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, you know, let's, let's put a word because it's like the New York times says, but this is one person at the New York times saying this that ended to, I wonder if she actually wanted to put that, that, that thing like, well, of course, dangerous information, misinformation has to be filtered out, but like this is going too far. And, um, you know, what's dangerous misinformation? Like there are some good examples, like the lab leak theory at one point was dangerous misinformation because I don't know it, what, what was it? It was it was getting people distracted from the real things we need to talk about on COVID, or, or right? you know, or that and any other number of, of uh, things related to COVID that that tied it back to uh, you know a a Chinese or an Asian uh, origin uh, was endangering the lives of Asian Americans by causing yeah. people to discriminate against them in public. I mean, we could go on and on. There's long lists of things that were censored. It's not like, oh, every once in a while they make a mistake and censor something that's true. It just seems to happen all the time because their objective is not truth. If their objective was truth, yeah, every once in a while they'd, they'd censor something that was true by accident. But like that's that doesn't I think we're beyond the I think we're beyond the point where that's like the. Uh, uh, yeah, there there, there was the, uh, I, I recently looked through uh, some some documents that have been uh, been procured through a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, a FOIA, uh, and and it was uh, emails uh, between uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and and some other uh, government officials, and and in the beginning, there's there's a little bit that's redacted. You know, they've they've it looks like they probably uh, you know sent, marked out uh, you know masked some some you know personal information or anything that 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 could be you know not not directly relevant to the subject at hand. But the the first few pages are you know just talking about you know have you have you reviewed the document you know are we meeting at such and such a time and then it finally gets into you know here's here's a a major report i need you to you know to to review this in full and literally it's got like dozens of pages where the only thing not redacted on the page are the page number and the header and then it's a block of black text yeah. and and so it's it's almost insulting that they even bothered to respond to the freedom of Infor information act uh, given that the the response was here is all the information you're not allowed to know. Have fun not knowing it. Well, at least in that case, you know it's there. So they, they I, I, I guess, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, that's 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 good information to have. I mean, that stuff becomes public eventually, right? Uh, it uh, depends. It depends. All right, fifty years. You got to live live another fifty. I years mean, they fifty years. They say about a lot of things, but they still haven't released all the JFK stuff. That's true. That's true. Uh, it came very close a few years ago. I remember there, there was talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And I think some of it was released, but then some of it was like, ah, oh, we got to redact a little bit longer. What could possibly <laughs> be so, like, what could possibly at this point be like, you know, Hey, we need another 10 years. Like, I don't, 
Like, what, what could possibly... I mean, is it people who are still alive? That, that way madness you know? lies. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it blows my mind, but maybe someone with more of a imagination than me can tell me um, what that, for what reason that could possibly be. So, um, so the other thing that I, I, I picked up on the, in the article was there, there was a mention of, of uh, U.S. companies, you know, your, your Googles, your Netflixes, your, your, your Metas, I almost said Facebook. Uh, yeah. Etc. I, I give you permission to say Facebook, <laughs> and and how uh, there there are they, that both they and others are advocating that really the U.S. government should do something to set out clearer regulations on on how how they should and should not censor here because now the burden is on them to protect all these people around the world are these these foreign nationals um, cl- cl- making the clear implication that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing in the U.S. It's all about what's going on in the rest of the world. Right. Uh, but but that really that that the government should come in and and create some some rules and some standards. I guess the theory being that if if the U.S. government uh, creates these rules and standards, that somehow that will constrain these companies, which will then force them to either not do business in these other countries or force the other countries to to go along with you know kind of a. Uh, uh, network effect type thing, but but I, that I found that completely unconvincing. Uh, and given the effectiveness of their uh, attempts at at regulating content in the U.S. from a governmental perspective, uh, I have uh, low to no expectations for them being able to do something to help the rest of the world on that front. Yeah, I mean, part of it also is um, for for the domestic concerns, like those companies are now sort of they're censoring and redacting on behalf of the U.S. government and on behalf of the administration, just saying like, okay, like uh, this is what we think they want, so we're going to do it. Whereas otherwise they're going to drag us into Congress again and they're going to, maybe they want clearer rules too. They're like, tell us what we have to take down. That just makes our lives easier. And then we Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's a little bit of that, but, but they certainly, I, I would expect, uh, feel like they're being pulled in both directions because uh, you know the the Democrats are saying one thing and the Republicans are saying another thing and the Libertarians are screaming quietly in a corner, uh, and and so it's 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 not like they can just do do this this one uh, you know do do this one uh, trick to to you know satisfy the U.S. government. Uh, right. The, that the, might be why they would want rules. Yeah. Well, and and if if they can get a clear you know a clear law or, or legal ruling on that that they can point to and say, we're doing this, you can't be angry at us because this is what we're doing, Right. Uh, then then sure, that would make things simpler. Right now, they're, they're kind of stuck in a tug of war there. Okay, yeah. All right, so let's just uh, finish out the article. I thought the ending, the last couple paragraphs were, were interesting. The original utopian idea of the internet was that it would help tear down national boundaries and give citizens abilities that they never before had to challenge their governments. We saw a version of that, but then governments wanted more control over what happens online. Um, Quote, governments are very powerful and they don't like to be displaced. Mishi Chowdhury, a lawyer who works for the rights of internet users in India, told me last year. Our challenge then is to make rules for governments to act in the public interests to shape what happens online when necessary while calling them out when authorities abuse this right in order to maintain their own power. Um, so, okay, interestingly enough, um, so, so the author kind of wants to have it, in one sense it's like okay to have a nuanced view here, but on, on the other sense I feel like they want um, 
you know, they, they want to grant government lots of power to, um, to shape the internet, which basically means to <laughs> tell big companies what they can and can't say online or allow people to say online. So they want that power, they, they want that power, but they also say like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll call them out when, when they abuse it. Like they want to be able to do that. And that sort of, I'm not saying you can't have some kind of checks and balance, check and balance system there that, um, that, uh, that, 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 that makes that work, but to, to just hand wave that away and say, oh, this check and balance we, we, we can do open, raises the question of like, well, how do you do that? And, you know, aren't you concerned that it, it won't work? I mean, I, I feel like you have to at least answer those two questions. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it sounds like what's being proposed is, well, we need a government watchdog group that's going to, to you know, to speak up when, when they're violating our, our you know, code, code of conduct in which, okay, sure. Yeah. But when has that ever actually uh, constrained the government that, that that's, yeah. that's too little, too late and too weak. Um, if, if that's, if, if you want to actually be able to, you know, kind of hold back the, the waters on that. Um, yeah. The, the only other thing I can think of is, is that I'm assuming the uh, period that, that the author is referring to, or, or the person being quoted is referring to where the internet did have that effect. Uh, I, I assume that's an allusion to the Arab spring, but, but, I'm not 100% uh, confident in that. Oh, uh, the original utopian idea was give citizens ability to well, challenge their governments. Well, yeah, the, but there's, I, a, there's a comment about, and, and, and it briefly, you know, briefly yeah. worked that way. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, no, that's part and, of it. And that's especially where we've seen some of these crackdown type things yeah. being, being kind of pioneered. In the Middle East? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and the Arab Spring took place in like 2011, or 2010, 2011, which was before, you know, Internet censorship started ramp- ramping up in the middle of the last decade, um, and yeah, and there have been a lot of changes in, in in the West. Like a lot more voices have come out there. Yeah, it's, I think it's, the number of third parties in Europe have grown considerably. Must be from partially because of the amplification of voices on the internet. Obviously, the U.S. huge political changes driven by the internet. Um, a, a decade yeah. ago, we were worried about uh, third world countries having an on-off switch for the internet, uh, right. and and they've moved beyond that. They don't need to 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 turn the whole system off. No. They have the ability to much more surgically control what's what's going where and what helps allowed. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about authoritarian regimes, do they want to turn off the TV and turn off the radio, or do they want to yeah. well, use the TV and or this, radio? This is nothing uh, new because you know, in in the uh, the the revolutionary playbook, you know. Task number one is take over the radio stations, take over the TV stations. If you control that, then you have yeah. a huge amount of, of leverage uh, as, as opposed to, to not, not having those mechanisms. Yeah. And, and the internet has, has uh, kind of uh, su- surpassed that in a lot of ways. That, that who, who still turns on the TV and listens to the radio to get their news? Uh, yeah. that, that there's a huge, well, huge chunk of, some people of our, our population that uh, is, is internet first when it comes to current events. Right, right. I, I was reading the other day, if you have a successful coup in a country, you have to control the media. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Um, okay, so um, let's get on to distribution of the week, the probability distribution of the week. Uh, I think we're going to get a jingle for that someday. <laughs> I'm having it made right now, but for the next couple episodes, we won't have it. And today, we're going to talk about the binomial distribution and, and also... Um, Next time, we're going to talk about the multinomial distribution, but I'm going to have to mention it here a little bit in order to get to the binomial distribution because it's very, um, it's very confusing to compare that to 
the categorical distribution, which we did a few weeks ago, because the categorical distribution is like, hey, I have um, several different possible events. They're mutually exclusive. One of these events is going to happen, and I assign them each probabilities, and all the probabilities add to one. Great. So what's the difference in a binomial distribution? Or so so right. is a binomial distribution not just a categorical distribution with only two categories? No, no, because what you just described is the is is like a, I call it a binary distribution or a Bernoulli distribution, which I think Bernoulli was a great guy, but or a great mathematician, but I kind of feel like it's too simple to name that after a person. Like it's too simple of a thing. It's hey, like it seems simple now. Yeah, but at the time. Well, yeah, but like, you know, if someone says, hey, like the number 12 should be renamed after me, that's a little bit like, you know, uh, you're asking for too too much there. Uh, but anyway, so um, the difference between the binomial uh, for, for a two-dimensional categorical and a multinomial, which is the, the general, generic one, which we'll talk about next time, but, I, but it, it is that now you're running it multiple times. So you're running the same experiment multiple times. Like, so let's say you have a coin, could be a weighted coin. Now you're flipping that coin uh, n times, uh, you know, so n being the number of trials, maybe you, you flip it 100 times. And instead of getting heads or tails, which is what you get in the binary distribution that you, you described, now you're actually getting a number between 0 and 100. How many times did the target event, let's say it's heads, how many times did heads come up? Um, so, so in that case, we would assume that it's, it's going to be somewhere around 50% or, you know, half, half of, of the hundred, hundred flips. If, if it's a fair coin, right. Which, which yeah. I, I will assume going into this. Yeah. But, but these binomial distributions do not have to be with fair right. coins in general. Uh, but yeah, but also if you think about, let's say, let's say it's a, it's a fair coin and you're doing 10 flips. Right. There's a certain probability that you're going to get five heads. There's a certain probability you're going to get six heads. There's a certain probability you're going to get 10 heads. There's a certain probability you're going to get one head. Each of the different possible outcomes has a probability now. So even though the coin itself has two outcomes, you now have um, 11 possible outcomes because you're counting from zero to 10. And uh, so that's so that extra zero gives you an, gives you an extra outcome. Uh, so um, it's it's very common. Um, to describe this distribution, you still just need two numbers that add up to one. Uh, so the binomial distribution and the two-dimensional categor categorical or categorical and multinomial, I often will admit to using them completely interchangeably. And I'll mean one and say the other. And I'm pretty sure that's common. I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one who does that. But sometimes you really have to make a distinction. And a lot of times um, this... This repetition is something that, uh, the, with these simple distributions to create a, a new distribution, is something that happens uh, quite often. Um, and the reason why the two-dimensional one is, is sort of special is now it's like the question is how many heads came up, right? And so I can kind of plot that between 0 and 10, 0 and 100, depending on how many times I plotted the coin. The multinomial, it gets to be very complicated, which we'll, we'll, we'll try to break that down next week. Um, uh, so you do get a kind of nice bell-looking curve, you, you, you know, kind of a, a normal-looking curve, except it's not a curve. It's just dots for each, each value. Because it's still um, categorical in nature. Right, right. It's still, it's still discrete. Um, and um, 
Yeah, you, a, a lot of times in Bayesian influence, in, in statistics, you know, you, you kind of want to flip that on its head. You're like, how many times did heads come up? Okay, let me think back and, okay, what do I think the weight of the coin is? And um, so that's, uh, that's binomial. Um, a couple of interesting cases. Let's talk about, um, I like to talk about degenerate cases uh, because I'm such a degenerate. No, it's because... Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always very telling. So uh, let's suppose n equals zero. I always like that. You, you flipped it zero times. Well, um, uh, it, you still have one event that could happen, which is that no heads come up. Uh, and so it's just 100% on that, on that one event. Um, and so notice the number of times you flip it, you have n plus one possibilities. So okay. if you flip yep. it once, then you have two possibilities. You could have one head or zero heads. So that's, that's n equals one. So I, I think sometimes those basic, oftentimes in math, like those basic, um, what they're called degenerate cases sometimes, like kind of teach you how to, how to, it's sort of like looking at the simple cases and they teach you how to go forward. And actually n equals two is very interesting because that's like you have, um, you have zero heads, one head, or, or, or two heads. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, there are, there's only one way to get zero heads or two heads. That's just all tails or all heads. But there's two ways to get one head. Um, there's, uh, it's either heads, tails, or tails, heads. So there's two chances that. So it kind of has this pattern of one, two, one, especially if the, if the, um, if the uh, you know, it, if, if the coin is fair. Not, not unlike the case we were talking about, uh, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, yeah. uh, where, where we first talked about uh, rolling a single six-sided die, but then if you start rolling two six-sided dies, that, that when you have two dies adding up, there are, a, a, you know, the, the result seven can be achieved uh, a number of different ways. You know, six and right. one, one and six, three and four, four and three, two and five, five and two, and so on. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, those are interesting distribution. We might get to that eventually. Um, so, okay, so th th that's kind of interesting. Now, if you have a if you have a fair coin, you know the the um, that number one two one, and then if you flip it a third time, it becomes one three three one, and then if you flip it a fourth time, yeah. So this is actually related to something called Pascal's triangle, and um, it's basically the number of different ways you can get. N heads and choose K. And I, we don't have a whole time to go through Pascal's triangle today. But uh, for those of you who know it, um, it's, um, that's one way to think about how to generate this curve. When it's you know, even, uh, obviously, if, it's, if the coin is very skewed toward one side or the right. other. If, you, if you've got a 70-30 coin instead of a 50-50 right. coin. Then, then you're going to see a significant difference in yeah. how that, that falls out. Right, right. So how is this related to binomial? in math might be a good question. Uh, it is very related. Uh, so a binomial in math is, um, you know, a, 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 a sum with two terms. Let's simplify it like that. So it's like X plus Y or something like that, A plus B. When you're talking about probability, you want those two things to add to one. So you have two probabilities, let's say P plus Q, and you are... Uh, you assume that P plus Q equals one. So maybe it's like P and one minus P, but that makes it too complicated. So let's just do P plus Q is one. So P plus Q is your kind of um, term that represents the two different 
probabilities, and of course you're going to get one because you just added them together. When you take that term and raise it to a power, that power is uh, n. That's the number of, of trials that you did. So, um, for example, let's say n is, is 4. Then you take p plus q, all in parentheses, to the fourth. And then when you multiply that out, you know, notice it's still gonna it's still gonna add up to one because uh, one to the fourth is one. But when you multiply that out, you get a whole bunch of terms, and each term is going to represent the uh, probability of one outcome. So, for example, one of the terms is going to be p to the fourth, the first term, and um, the second term is going to be uh, p to the third times q, and I think the, like uh, um, four times four, four four. 4p cubed q. Anyway, so that just says there are four of those. So that's so it kind of gives you a sense of that's the three-head example. And that gives you, um, just by multiplying it out, it gives you the probabilities of each of the uh, each of the possible outcomes, which is pretty cool. Um, it's giving me flashbacks yeah. to algebra and yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? So this Quadratic is equations and, right. and for first uh, outer, inner, last. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. You foil the... Uh, so this is like... Uh, uh, this could be done with middle school math, although I, I suspect um, listening on audio, it's going to be a little bit different, difficult to understand. And then to get the, the probabilistic interpretation, um, you need kind of a higher level of, uh, of, of intuition. But yes, I think the point is you can get all of these possibilities through middle school, early high school algebra, which is really great. Uh, so I, I, I really like these distributions and I think the multinomial distribution has some more complications, more quirks that make it really interesting for next time. So, all right, I, I think I think that's all I wanted to say about it. Uh, do, any questions about binomial distribution before we go on? No, I, I, I've I've got some thoughts for for future distributions, but we'll we'll talk about that off the air. Here. All right, perfect. Okay, I think that's it for today. Um, enjoy uh, enjoy the summer. It's been too hot. I know here it cools down a little bit later this week. I am excited for it to get to a cool 82 degrees <laughs> after it being like 97 for the last five weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that 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 will that that will uh, that'll be nice. I feel like it's my only um, uh, productive times right now are the spring and the fall. It's like there's there's seasonal disorder in the winter. You're tired because it's so dark, and then in the summer it's too hot. So it's like you can't even. Uh, the, the, you've only got like a few weeks in between each one where where, where things are thing, things are easy. I need this, this is perfect. this is a, a risk of living in New England. It is. It certainly is a very extreme temperature type of place. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.